The time has come. We're talking about candy. It was inevitable. Eventually, we'll talk about probably everything. I'm guessing that the reason we're talking about candy is because we had very little sugar for two weeks. Oh, really? That makes more sense than what I was thinking because my thought was people are demanding that we talk about it. So far, we've had no demands of any type for anything. I demand some demands, please. I agree. Or any emails whatsoever. Nobody's.pod.email at gmail.com. Unless the demands are about superhero movies or Lord of the Rings. We probably won't do those. But for the right amount of money, we will do any topic. <laughs> so, yes. Indulge in the history of candy, modern application, cultural impact. Kick back, grab your sugar treats, and enjoy. Mmm, Sour Patch Kids. I'm Emma. I'm Ian. And this is our podcast, Nobody's Talking About Everything, Solving Nothing. If we get lucky, we might solve something. Candy was not invented until the Industrial Revolution was well underway because it was not commercially viable to grow, pick, and process sugar plants until it could be done by machines because it was so labor-intensive. I have one experience with sugarcane. When I was in the U.S. Virgin Islands on St. Thomas, we stopped at this little roadside dude who was chopping up sugarcane with a machete, and we bought some sugarcane. It is the most inconvenient thing to work with ever because the juice is what you need to get. That's the sweet part, but it's the most fibrous, annoying thing ever. Yeah. It's like almost like what I would imagine bamboo to be like. Yeah. You can chew it or suck on it. I ended up spending most of the night doing it. (laughs) I was pretty wired, it felt like. It was a good time. I was 17. My main experience with sugarcane is the Shaggy song called Sugarcane. The main line from it is, she likes the taste of my sugarcane. So it has a, you know, sexual undertone. And you might think, that's a pretty good song. You know, not a bad song. That was your favorite. I was 14. That's the thing. Sugarcane. Early forms of candy were hard candies that were modeled after throat lozenges. We kind of learned about this in the Valentine's Day episode. Chocolate bars and hard candies were invented in the same year, 1847. Hmm. That's early. It just seems crazy that candy didn't exist. I had that nice, hmm, because they were invented the same year. Were they invented by the same person or was it just a coincidence? Coincidence. Very interesting. Yeah. Maybe it's because sugarcane became, like you said, processable. Yeah. And once they had sugar, they just were like, all right, great, we can make anything now. Because mm-hmm. they've had sugar for several centuries since they colonized America. Even though they were using slave labor, it was still too expensive to use massively, which is crazy. Only once they got a factory were they able to lower the price enough to sell it as candy. And then you're like, oh, well, they didn't have candy. Okay, fine. But they still had sweets in other ways, you know, like they were making desserts and other things. But as we've learned in the birthday podcast, they weren't. People didn't make cakes. It was like a very, very rare delicacy, mostly reserved for rich people. Birthdays were just shit back then. You got your birthday spankings and that was about it. And then when you're 21, you get your teeth pulled out. Oh. (laughs) Not even because you had too much sugar. You had no sugar. You also didn't brush though, so. Yeah, so you saved that amount of time, I guess. But if you're not brushing your teeth and you're not eating sugar, what in the world would you be doing? I think teeth just naturally decay if you're not taking care of them. I know, I just mean like with your extra time. (laughs) (laughs) Just working yourself to the bone. (laughs) 
Early flavors for candies came from flavors that people were most accustomed to. As always, you know, new products are supposed to be highly palatable to our current tastes. If in 1847 they came out with like airheads, people would hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And since there were no artificial flavors and fresh fruit were very, very rare, especially in like Europe and Northern America because they couldn't grow it. And that's where the factories were located was in those Northern areas. So they weren't likely to use fruit flavors because they couldn't get a natural fruit in there. And they didn't have synthesized flavors. Because nowadays they got every single possible flavor out there. Yeah, but they're like not even natural. (laughs) Yeah. The modern candy is so different from the original candies. You think that a caveman would blow up if he had like a ring pop or something? Not quite a ring pop. If anybody has ever had... A hot tamale or something. That'd be one. But no, I'm thinking more. It's one of those sour candies. I believe it's called Warheads. Warheads. Yeah. To anybody on the Christopher Columbus's boat, even. Yeah. They would die. Instantly. <laughs> <laughs> Their brain would just not compute. If they had to consume the whole thing, they would pass away. <laughs> I remember when I was like five or six and I had my first warhead. One of my sister's friends, who was like 18, gave me one. And I pretty much, yeah, I almost passed away. It's almost makes you want to vomit. It's, like <laughs> a, it's insane. Shit, if I had one now, I'd probably at least pass out for a couple minutes. <laughs> They used to have so many different insane candies. Maybe they still do, but I remember one of my favorite candies was one where it was like a, a big, it was almost like a sucker in the shape of like a paintbrush. Mm-hmm. And it came with some sort of dip can full of dust. Yeah. And essentially you would just like paint your tongue with this sour. It's basically a baby bottle pop, but a different shape. You could say that, yeah. Yeah. A very intentional, absurd baby bottle pop that was just extremely sour. So because they didn't have fruit flavors that they could use and they didn't have artificial flavors, they had to take flavors from spices. So early candies were often unflavored, meaning sugar flavored, which should be considered a flavor. (laughs) And then they were flavored with spices. What kind is it? Sweet. (laughs) So that makes sense because cinnamon and root beer and... Mint, cloves, whorehound, and licorice. I still don't know. I don't have a clue what Horhound is. This is actually how I thought of this podcast topic because when we were at the cabin, I had some root beer barrels. Bought by your wonderful husband. And he knew to get the old-fashioned kind, not the new school. She hates the new school. (laughs) And I was like, where the hell did we get root beer? So, of course, I had to look it up. That caused me to go down the Horhound rabbit hole, and then this whole podcast happened. Here we are. (laughs) So I mentioned licorice in that list. Which is a root... So we learned about that in the Vegetables podcast. Licorice is a root and licorice flavor means black licorice, like how we think of black licorice, which is very similar in taste to anise, but they're not the same. Like they're totally unrelated plants. Hmm. You might hear it said like aniseed because anise comes from a seed, whereas licorice is a root. They have kind of that spicy flavor. And then if you are, you know, just living in a cloud and you're thinking licorice as in like Twizzlers, no, that has nothing to do with licorice. It's a completely commandeered name. It tastes nothing like actual licorice, obviously. Black licorice is the licorice flavor. Well, I think it's, it was called licorice because that flavor originated when black licorice manufacturers, they just made a new flavor and call it red, but it was made in the same shape. Yeah. And the same texture. So because of that, it wasn't the hard candy. It wasn't the chocolate. Yeah. You know, it was easiest to describe it as red licorice because what else do you call it? You have a whole new name for it. Yeah, but that is our intuition because we grew up in the Twizzlers age. But chewing candy did not come around until surprisingly late. It was hard candy. Hmm. 
So licorice is not a type of candy as we think about it as like a rope or like oh, a chew candy. So back then it was licorice was a hard candy flavor. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. Hmm. I love this podcast. Yeah. My grandpa used to call licorice liquish. <laughs> <laughs> Non-ironically. <laughs> so red licorice is not associated with the licorice plant at all. And if ever somebody reads and writes the name licorice this many times, it begins to be such a weird word. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you keep thinking licorice. Yes. <laughs> Root beer barrels were invented in the early 1900s by a pharmacist again. Pharmacists just love inventing candy. I guess yeah, there's all these lozenge makers. Yep, they had the infrastructure to make lozenges, which are the exact same thing as candy molds. And then the reason why this progression happened was because they wanted to make lozenges for sore throat or whatever. And then they had a hard time getting their patients to take the lozenges because they tasted so bad. So then they had to put in like a licorice flavor or a mint flavor, you know, so that it would go down. And then people loved the flavor of it so much, like when you're a kid and you want to take cough drop because you like the flavor. And so then they liked the flavor so much they kept asking for it. And then they're like, well, shit, this will be way cheaper if we take out the medicinal ingredients and just put in the sugar and the herb. And do you want to sell just to sick people or to everybody? Or to unsuspecting children. (laughs) (laughs) Or do you want to sell to children an addictive substance that ruins their teeth? Rubier flavor is made from the root bark of a sassafras plant. Sassafras plant? Is yeah. sassafras or like a fern? Sassafras is a spice, isn't it? I believe it's also a spice, yeah. Yeah. I think sassafras might be a tree. Maybe it's because I think sassafras is maybe like bark with spice. This but is... this is the bark of the root. The root beer comes from Correct. the bark of the, the root. The bark of the root. Yeah. Sassafras comes from the root of the bark. <laughs> And then obviously with it being called root beer, that's because the soda came before the candy. And it's a North American invention. It's a common thing in America and Canada, unlike in Europe. So apparently if you go to Europe, you won't find root beer, which is sad because that's my favorite soda. Not that I drink it. You have one a year? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's been my favorite soda since I've been a little kid. It was always what I ordered. At the many bars that I was at as a classic Wisconsin child. Mm -hmm. Many, many. My favorite soda, if I have like a guilty pleasure childhood soda. Code Red. Yeah, that's the hardcore version. But what I would actually have today, I still love like a black cherry soda or just in general cherry soda. But if it says black cherry, even if it's the exact same flavor, I just like thinking it's black cherry. I don't know why. (laughs) And then I got curious about cream soda because it's very similar to root beer. Cream. And did you know that obviously in America, our cream soda is either like tan or sometimes it's clear or like white. Yeah. And in other countries around the world, it's all different colors. In Canada, it's red. Yeah. Green, orange, like whatever color. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I maybe have heard of red, but I bet you there's like a Canadian cream soda red company that we've heard of. Yeah. But yeah, if I would have been asked, I would have never thought of that. But that's interesting. I would have never known that there's mm-hmm. all sorts of different flavors. And Whorehound, this is the big cliffhanger that people have been waiting for. People probably don't even know what Whorehound is, like literally. I never knew until you told me. Yeah. Well, the Whorehound flavor comes from a bitter herb of the mint family native to Europe, North Africa, and Central Asia. And it just happens to be similar to the bark of the root of the sassafras plant. <laughs> you think it tastes like root beer? Loosely. Yeah. The same way that anise and licorice taste similar. 
Yeah, Whorehound comes like a root beer barrel. It's an old-fashioned candy that was popular in the early 1900s. It's delicious. Questionably delicious. It's like a time warp. It definitely tastes like old school root beer because it tastes like it's just made in a factory where there's no standards and they just put whatever in there. They forgot to taste test it. It's candy for sure, but it's whorehound. The way that I think I got into whorehound was in sixth grade, I read a book from literature class or whatever, where I think it might have been like where the red fern grows. Is that one set in the past? It's old school. Yeah. Some book like that. They were eating whorehound. And like the teacher, Mrs. Fergie, taught us what it was or whatever. And then shortly after, we were at Newski's because that was the halfway point between our house and our cabin as a kid, Wittenberg, Wisconsin. And it's like an old lodgy type meat store, but they have candy and all that and free root beer. And so then I saw Whorehound and I was like, okay, I have to try it. And the positive association just blew you right through the roof. Yep. The first candy company to introduce a variety of flavors within one package was Necco, who produces the candy hearts. Mm-hmm. They were the first candy company in America. They're definitely leading the way. Yeah. So before it was like you'd buy a package of whorehound, package of root beer, or single candy. And this was multiple flavors within one package, which of course today is like all candy. Yeah, if it's not a candy bar, there's multiple flavors. Mm-hmm. And these are kind of like Smarties. They're like that dusty, hard material. You chew it typically, you could suck on it. Yeah. Do you want to know the flavors that were included in this roll? I big time do. <laughs> Lemon, lime, orange, chocolate, cinnamon, mint. <laughs> wow, we were. <laughs> mint candy I've always found gross. Uh, you just can't toss those all together. Like, <laughs> if you're having a variety pack, you're not going to sort it. You're just going to start eating them. And I like to combine different flavors. If I have a bunch of jelly beans, I'm going to mix and match. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of combos in there that are <laughs> deadly combos. <laughs> I'll just give you all cinnamon probably. Yeah, back then they obviously weren't thinking about the presentation because they now have two greens and two browns. And then a yellow and an orange. Whereas today, we try to think about getting one of each color. It's got to be a rainbow. Yeah. Unless it's jelly beans, all reds. Now we're going to take a short detour to the gum industry. Do you think gum is a candy? Oh, yeah. Okay. We already learned in the Made in America podcast that chewing on pieces of the gum tree has been common among aboriginals for thousands of years in the Americas but wasn't widely passed on to colonizers, for whatever reason, the Spanish. In North America, aboriginals, because they didn't have gum trees up here, were commonly chewing resin from spruce trees. This habit did get passed on to American colonizers. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. It wasn't until 1848 that the first branded chewing gum was produced from tree sap and was called the State of Maine Spruce Gum. (laughs) again not the best name it's okay name (laughs) it's not as catchy as like trident orbit (laughs) clean it up clean it up we are not sponsored by orbit fuck you orbit industrialists quickly found out that the original gum tree worked much better than the spruce resin so they started doing their research they went down to south america like hey guess what it doesn't leave your teeth all sappy for weeks (laughs) (laughs) Gum was the dominant form for chewing candy for 60 years. 
So they started with the resin, they switched to real gum for 60 years. And then, of course, now we chew artificial oil. Now we chew plastic. Yeah. Good. So definitely don't swallow your gum because it is not made from plants. But I think it just passes right through you. You poop it out? I think. I'm pretty sure it doesn't just stay in you. That's not how stomachs work. That's what every dad has told me. I'm pretty sure if we Google it, <laughs> I have no proof to back it up, but I'm pretty sure, like anything else, it just goes through you. I don't think it breaks down. What about watermelon seeds? goes right through you. But also sometimes it stays inside you and it grows watermelon. Today, gum is made from resins, humminkants, elastomers, emulsifiers, fillers, waxes, antioxidants, softeners, sweeteners, and flavoring agents. What was the second one? Humminkants? <laughs> humminkants. I don't know what that is. The hell is <laughs> The rest are pretty terrifying too, but I just couldn't get over that word. My favorite word on there was elastomers. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. It's a little bit better than emulsifiers. This is a fact that I found that I know you're passionate about. William Wrigley started out as a soap salesman, which you knew. Well, I always forget the order of the things. So he was a soap salesman. And then in 1891, he began offering store owners incentives to stock his product. So when he'd go around to like the general stores, he would offer them promotional gifts. And he would offer things like free cans of baking powder with every order. But he had multiple different things that he would offer. Baking powder. Yeah. And then the baking powder proved to be a bigger hit than the soap. So then he dumped the soap and started selling the baking powder. Well, then during that part of the business, he added in free packs of chewing gum as a promotion instead of the baking powder. Then, of course, everybody fucking loved the chewing gum. And then he dropped the baking powder. I fucking love that story so much. <laughs> 1891. Yes, but the interesting thing is that in 1893, he went to Jeff's gum. And so it only took him two years to drop the soap and the baking powder. Damn. Yeah. Wrigley knows how to pivot. Yeah. And that's what I added in. The word pivot? He pivoted quickly. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I like more. The fact that he pivoted so quickly or the fact that we both said that. So when he went into the gum business full time, he launched two flavors, Juicy Fruit and Wrigley Spearmint. I chewed both of those growing up quite a bit. My grandma Beckman always had juicy fruit in her purse. I really liked juicy fruit for a long time. <laughs> it was a quick gum. After three, four minutes, that was pretty well gone, but I would just throw another stick right in the mouth. That's every gum for me. Yeah, but you probably didn't do it like I did because you just put a lot in and then chew, 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 and then take it out. I would toss one in, chew for two, three minutes, toss another one in on top of it, oh. you know, and then repeat that until I had way too much in my mouth. And then get a stomach ache. Then chew it until it literally was dead flavorless. <laughs> and then chew it until you couldn't pop it anymore and then get rid of it. Yikes. In 1928, so this is a long time later, a FLIR employee, so FLIR was a gum company. Spelled. Exactly as you'd think with two E's. Love it. FLIR. A FLIR employee named Walter Demir finally devised a successful formula for the first commercial bubble gum called Double Bubble. Walter Demir from FLIRs? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he then started the Demir Gum Company, which is still in business. The only thing that went quicker than Juicy Fruit is Double Bubble. And that shit goes in seconds. Wait, is it called Double Bubble or is it called Hubba Bubba? Two different companies. Oh, okay. Double Bubble, from what I remember, 
are those kind of barrel-shaped, pink, ridged on the outside. Okay, yeah, I hate those. Those are the worst. I hate those. That is what you'd get for Halloween. Yes, and I feel like every single double bubble was made in 2003. Which <laughs> <It's> hard. <laughs> yeah. But Hubba Bubba was really good. Yeah, that's a good. Like one. watermelon flavored. Yeah, and those were kind of like in, I believe, thick sticks. Chunks. They were yeah chunks, chunks. thicker yeah. chunks. Mm-hmm. It's so stupid that we have that knowledge I just know. in our brains at all times. I wish I we could delete it. I haven't thought about Hubba Bubba in probably fifteen years. What about Hubba Bubba tape? <laughs> <laughs> that was a common one for us. Grape tape. I usually got either the lime tape or the pink tape. Lime. Yeah, there's green tape. Hmm. Are you sure it was lime and not apple? It may have been apple. Yeah. It maybe it was apple. Whatever green tape was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mostly got pink tape, it seems. Yeah. Bubblegum flavored, right? <laughs> the funniest thing to do is if somebody had that, to like open it up and just take like a big uh, bite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In 1893, Milton Hershey attended the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago. I really fucking wish we still had World Fairs because I would love to go to one. That sounds so cool. Yeah. And while he was there, he watched chocolate being manufactured at one of the exhibits. It was a brand new invention. The manufacturer of the machinery was a German company, and he gave Mr. Hershey a, quote, great deal so that they didn't have to ship the equipment back to Europe. So they sold it to him really cheap just to get rid of it. Because it was like a giant machine, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it was like breaking edge technology. Wow. Yeah. Previous to that, as we learned in Made in America podcast, they had been drinking chocolate in liquid form. And then what else were they even doing with it? Shaving it onto desserts? I have no idea. I think it was mostly not eaten in a sweet fashion. Mm. It was just in regular cooking. Like mole, Mexicans make mole, mm-hmm. which I think is beans and chocolate. Or chilies and chocolate? I'm not I sure. Hershey was the first American candy bar. Do you know the year on that? Yeah, 1893. 1893. Yeah. What was his first name? Milton. Damn, I like that name. <laughs> Milton Hershey. In 1900, he thought to add milk to his chocolate. That bastard. Fuck. What an idiot. Because Hershey, even till this cheap, horrible, industrialized world, even till today, they use cocoa butter in their chocolate. So apparently all chocolate has to have cocoa butter in it to make it have the right texture. And as we know from being vegan, it definitely does not need to have milk because chocolate we eat is delicious. Mm-hmm. Damn you, Milton. Why you gotta be milking? In 1906, Hershey made kisses wrapped in foil. Huge game changer. I used to love those on Christmas. And then 90 years after that, they made the best Christmas commercial of all time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you grew up in America, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think they still run that ad. Maybe if you grew up anywhere in the world. To our German listeners, please email us about anything. <laughs> Legend has it that in 1890, an unnamed Southern lady was making taffy, but added the wrong ingredients, and it resulted in the first batch of peanut brittle. Was she ashamed, or she just didn't want credit for that? I just think that they didn't record who did it. Or just didn't give women credit for anything back then? (laughs) 
1897, candy floss, also known as cotton candy, became mainstream because of the invention of the electrical cotton candy machine, which was created by a dentist and a confectioner. Together, the duo created a machine that spun heated sugar through a screen, creating the floss-like texture. They were just sitting down brainstorming, and they're like, all right, fuck these pharmacists. (laughs) We gotta make our own candy. (laughs) All we have is floss. (laughs) I'm a dentist. I just keep thinking about floss. (laughs) Lollipops were invented in 1908 and were originally soft candy on a stick, not hard. Weird. In 1924, dum-dums were invented. Were those soft or those were hard? Hard. Okay. That's funny because that almost reminds me of like cake pops. <laughs> yeah. So originally the term lollipop referred to candy on a stick, not sucker on a stick. Interesting. Yeah. I don't love the word lollipop. <laughs> In 1914, Heath Bar was invented, which I love. Mm. Who was Heath? It was just like a small time inventor. And they quickly got bought out, as every company does. And then in 1996, they were acquired by Hershey. Classic. Yeah. 65% of American candy bars have been around for more than 60 years. Wow, that's pretty cool. I guess. The word candy bar most commonly refers to chocolate for Mm -hmm. some reason. And I feel like chocolate candy bars are like the mainstay with the confectionery side, things change a lot and there's trends and there's hip new products. But with the chocolate ones, the main ones stay really hard. Yeah, very, very true. All of these companies that I'm going to tell you guys about, they all started as a home business, literally a home invention. And then they quickly got bought out by either Mars or Hershey. I was going to say Mars bars and Hershey's were just the colonists of the candy industry. Yeah, classic capitalism. In 1922, the first ever gummy candy was invented. It was called Dancing Bear. Later, they changed the name to Gummy Bear. That is a much better name. Really? Yeah. I feel like the bear has its arms up, which does indicate that it's dancing. To me, it appears to be more of a sitting bear. (laughs) But bears don't sit on their butts. And... I don't get why in our culture we have all these different bear representations and they're always like belly out, like arms at the side. They're very humanized. Why isn't the bear ever in like bear mode where it's standing (laughs) on all fours? The only bear mode food I can think of is animal crackers. Yeah, but that's a side profile. But it's still bear mode. Yeah. And and what what do you want, like head on bear mode? But imagine a gummy bear where it was like still had the four legs, but it was in bear mode. German chocolate cake was named after an American chocolate company. Like they took the chocolate to make the cake, so they named it after the chocolate company. And that chocolate company, of course, as all chocolate companies were, was named after the last name of the owner of the chocolate company, who was an American man. He was not German in any way. The reason why the chocolate company was called German was because his last name was German, not because he was German or anything to do with Germany. That's very misleading. (laughs) He was Italian. (laughs) That is very funny. Like, no one would ever think that. They would think, of course, that it comes from Germany. Want some German chocolate? It's just called German just because, like, the same reason why it's called Mars. It doesn't mean it came from Mars. It's because the guy's last name was Mars. (laughs) But you see how it's misleading. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, but imagine if we all thought that the candy came from Mars. I would imagine if there was a brand that came out and it was called Wisconsin Chocolate. <laughs> like, hey, you want some Wisconsin Chocolate? That's weird. You think that, oh, I know a guy. You mean Jared Wisconsin? <laughs> but imagine if you lived in Illinois and your last name was Wisconsin. Would you name your chocolate company Wisconsin Chocolate? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> that would be stupid. Exactly. So it seems like why would he name his company that? Just the ego. People love naming shit after themselves. <laughs> Very similar to this German chocolate story is that fortune cookies were invented in America because Chinese restaurants came about and they just wanted like more stereotypes to pile on top of it. So they wanted to give somebody a free token at the end of the meal. So they invented fortune cookies. Chinese restaurants, of course, didn't become popular until like the 70s. So the fortune cookies have been touted as like a ancient thing of Chinese culture, but they're not. And it kind of plays on the stereotypes of like Chinese voodoo practices, you know, like fortune telling. Mm, yeah. It's like a weird religious thing. So it's completely an American thing. Yep. Classic Americans got to be confusing, got to be misleading. They're not even the best cookies. I like them. They're good. I need to consume them with liquids at the same time. Too dry? Way too dry. Hmm. Also, I just don't like the paper in my cookie. I don't like fortunes in general or anything related to like astrology or anything like that. I don't like it, but I'm going to read it. It's in my cookie. <laughs> Remember in high school when everybody would read those and then add in bed on the end? All, every single time. It's always, <laughs> ugh, culture's weird. No, it's definitely Carl. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you, I'm guessing. Pretty much, I mean, yeah, especially for trends in the late 2000s, early 2010s, that was like my peak trend time. I think you hopped on every single bandwagon there was. Um, no, I was very selective because occasionally I would be a bandwagon hater. In high school, we had a combination of two things. One was a pretty relaxed policy on leaving campus for lunch as juniors and seniors. Mm -hmm. And also within five minute drive, and all you can eat Hong Kong buffet for not too much money for a 16 or 17 year old. You know, when I was a junior and senior, when I left for lunch, I would go home and eat a nutritious meal. I would go home most days and eat a questionable meal. <laughs> the tradition most days was me and Kevin Urban go home to my place, eat lunch, watch Family Feud, go back to school, park my car, walk to Pete's house, climb his tree, wait until he, Ryan Swan, and I think Jeb would come. I forget who was that crew. Or Boyman might have came. And then I would eat possibly something and play video games on Pete's Tiny TV in the kitchen. I can't believe that you had two lunch periods, which is so useless. And then you claimed you didn't have enough time to take certain classes. They didn't line up. Like my schedule, it was an hour thing. Bands only offered one hour for... But you're saying that you wish you would have taken like psychology or art or something like that but instead you took double lunch <laughs> i cherish those times <laughs> and it was only for half a year that i did that maybe it was all year hmm. it was a good time though in 1925 the red hot dollars were invented they originally had a raspberry flavor red hot used to mean trendy or new but over the decades people started to get confused because the words changed in culture. And once again, hot meant hot. Yeah. 
So they didn't understand why they had the word hot in the name, but they tasted sweet. And so then in the 1970s, Red Hot Dollars changed their flavor entirely to match the name. They changed the flavor to cinnamon, of course. They could have just changed the name to Red Dollars. (laughs) But instead they wanted to overhaul the entire flavor profile. And then they improved the name greatly by switching it to Red Hots. Yeah. (laughs) Dollars from the start was a fail. (laughs) Not a good call. (laughs) Those suck. <laughs> the texture is funky. I like it. They're, those are like the hard ones, right? Yeah, and they're like dot shaped instead yeah. of long shaped. You mean dollar shaped? Or dollar shaped, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I like Red Hots better than Hot Tamales. I would agree because I think Hot Tamales are not better. They're too big. They take everything about Mike and Ike's and make mm-hmm. them bad. That's what I was going to say. Same shape and size texture. and texture Yeah, as Mike and Ike. In 1930, Mars started to go by M&M Mars because the original founder of Mars had passed the business to his son, and then he partnered with the son of the president of Hershey at the time, whose last name was Murray. Whoa. So the two sons took over Mars and named it M&M Mars. Mars Murray. These two guys introduced Snickers, which was named after a beloved horse of the Mars family. Oh. And it remains to this day a classic animal name. Snickers? Yeah, like people name their dog Snickers all the time. I've never met a dog named Snickers. Really? I don't think. Pete's cat is named Snickers. Well, he might be dead. Shit. Fuck. Sorry, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Eminem Mars debuted Three Musketeers in 1932. If you're wondering why it was called Three Musketeers, because three represents the amount of flavors that were in the candy bar which were chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry nougat. Strawberry? Chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry nougat. The nougat was strawberry flavored. Did they change it? Yes. Okay, I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, the flavor combination lasted 13 years, and then they just changed it to pure chocolate. Trigger warning, this is going to be a weird chocolate story. I used to like Three Musketeers, but what I would do is, not for a whole bar, but like for a section at a time, an inch or two, I would eat all the outside off, and then I would eat the nougat. <laughs> that's what I would do for Kit Kats. Whoa, that's crazy. Because the outside is like, comes off almost in like mm-hmm. a sheet if you bite it off. I really like to eat it like that. I did most of the Kit Kat maneuvering after I would bite it in my mouth, and then I would like separate the layers. I never separated the layers of the wafers. Only the chocolate pieces off. Part of candy, especially, I suppose, modern day candy. Is the mouth manipulation? Is the mouth manipulation. (laughs) And you couldn't have picked a worse phrase to use. (laughs) I was going to say the the experience of eating it and crunching it and breaking it apart and whatever else. But yes, the mouth manipulation. Okay, Three Musketeers. Is that the one that has like a marshmallow texture? Essentially, it's like a hard chocolate outer casing. Mm -hmm. And the inside is entirely essentially like a chocolate marshmallow. Yeah, okay. That I like. I don't like Milky Way. Milky Way is has a layer of caramel over the top of it. Yeah, but it's harder. It's like a denser chocolate. No. It has the marshmallow? Yep. Huh. It's not quite as fluffy, but it's close. I think that Milky Way is underrated, frankly. I mm. think it's really, really good. Especially if you don't like peanuts in your chocolate. Because like, they're all this exact same thing. It's just different things. It's Three Musketeers is just a plain nougat. Yeah. And then Milky Way adds a caramel. And then Snickers adds the peanuts. Yeah. But I don't get how Three Musketeers has nougat if it's marshmallow. Isn't nougat hard? No. Oh. And then... Nougat is marshmallow? 
Essentially, yeah, it's like chocolate marshmallow. Hmm. And it, it, I think it can be different densities depending on what the company's going for. And then totally different, Milky Way and Twix are almost similar just because, mm-hmm. you know, you substitute out the nougat and then you push in the cookie. Yeah, but that's what I like. Twix is really good. In 1941, M&M Mars introduced M&M's. They went with a very simple name. They just took right from their names again. Triple whammy. But also, I'll give them credit. M&M's fucking slap. They're so good. Agreed. The reason why they introduced M&M's, which is a huge stray away from the candy bar industry up until that point, because there was a big industry of like Smarties type candies or lozenge type candies that were fruit flavored, spice flavored, different things. And then there was the chocolate industry, which was entirely bars. So M&M was really innovative. Mars and Murray were just changing the game, mm-hmm. pushing chocolate in all forms. So the reason why they thought to invent these weird things is because historically chocolate sales had severely lowered in the summer. People would choose to eat like a lollipop or something in the summer and then chocolate in the winter because the chocolate would melt in your hands. So because it had a candy shell instead of a chocolate shell, it doesn't melt. I feel like maybe it's because of just like sweaty hands or something, but yeah. I feel like I've had M&Ms in my, you pour it into your hand and they sit too long, you can get candy on your hand. Candy, yeah, but not chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> if you have Skittles sit in your hand, it's going to leave colorful marks. Yeah, true. Mini M&Ms though. Mm. In 1931, we got Tootsie Roll Pops. Pretty good. I like them. It's the first novelty candy that ever happened because it's a combination of two different candies. Hmm. Okay, that's a pretty cool point. Tootsie Roll Pop. So they took a Tootsie Roll and inserted it into the center of a lollipop. I wonder how many flavors they had right from the get-go. I'm guessing just chocolate. Chocolate was always my favorite, which I just considered like the plain flavor, like the original. I feel like if when I was a kid, I loved all of them, but I, if I had my choice, I would have picked chocolate probably last. Really? Yeah. You would have thought I was lame for liking the chocolate one. Mm, kind of, yeah. Just because I think it was, to me, it was so fun to have like the two different flavors. Mm-hmm. I hated the orange one. I pretty much loved all of them. Classic Ian. Cherry, with most things, was always my favorite. I would go with grape second, probably. Grape is a, probably number two. I feel like nowadays they have so many new flavors. Mm-hmm. Cherry and raspberry and lime, and there's a million of them. They're great. So once you get to this age, apparently you say nowadays. Fuck. <laughs> In 1938, Necco pops up again. Bam. Classic Necco. We're back. Debuted the first ever chocolate bar that had pre-stamped sections of chocolate in one bar. Ooh. Which is quite common today, especially for like plain chocolate. They're like, you know how everybody always says the best things in sliced bread? <laughs> what if we just kind of slice chocolate? <laughs> in 1960, M&M Mars was looking to introduce a, quote, healthy candy. So naturally, they invented Starburst fruit chews. Naturally. They were fortified with vitamin C, which is not a vitamin that anybody should worry about getting because it comes in almost every food. Thank goodness. The good people at M&MR is looking out for our health. You think that was like a publicity thing? Yes, of course. Really? But I wonder, did people give a shit about health back then? Yes, they were starting to care about... Vitamin C was one of the first things that was touted. Mm, okay. It's just a advertising scheme because around that time, orange juice became commercialized 
And every time they came out with a product like that, that was new to the market, they had to come up with a specific reason why you're supposed to buy it. And even though oranges aren't particularly high in vitamin C, they slap that label onto it because it's the best thing that it offers. It doesn't have high levels of other vitamins. (laughs) So they say vitamin C. And then they try to tell you how vital vitamin C is for you. (laughs) And then they try to say that if you're sick, you should drink orange juice, which has never been proven to improve your sickness when you already have it by eating vitamin C. It's never been proven. So it's all just a sham. People just like thinking they're doing something for their health. People are big fans of the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned for our healthcare episode. In 1973, Hershey became the first candy company to offer ingredients and nutritional information on wrappers. 1973? Yeah. So the candy industry has been around for 100 years at that point, without anyone knowing how many calories are in it. People were just fucking shocked, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Well, people didn't know much about, like, calories at that point. As I was going to say, they didn't even have the food pyramid until, like, 2006. No, it wasn't that. It was... (laughs) But it was just, like, half wheat and half meat. (laughs) Yeah. 50% wheat, 50% meat. (laughs) But knowing the ingredients is very, very vital for just holding companies accountable. Mm -hmm. This morning we were learning a bunch of shit about hot dogs, about how hot dogs are 60% beef and 40% pork, but they include like every little trimming from the animals, like liver, heart, every organ, things like that. They say it doesn't have the balls, but who knows? (laughs) Or the butthole. That's a lot of wasted buttholes and balls. But they have found horse meat in Taco Bell. Apparently there's this thing called like club horse meat, where if you're exposed to have over 1% horse meat, and I believe it was in either British or Russian Taco Bells. Hmm. I don't get why people are concerned about eating horse versus other meat. How is that inhumane to eat horse but not a cow? For some reason, horses and cows, even though they're literally identical. Yeah, (laughs) as far as intelligence and size and everything. I don't know. It's just all a marketing thing. If you compare like the experience, the mental experience of a horse and a cow. Yeah. Like of their life from start to finish. They live about the same time-ish. They eat the same-ish shit. You trot around. Mm -hmm. You live life. Yes, they're different. Obviously, we get that. But not that different. One of the biggest misconceptions, which you'll always hear if you ever go horseback riding, because when a person goes horseback riding for the first time, your first instinct as a human is to say, should we be doing this? I mean, like, is this hurting the horse? Or like, that's a common question to ask when you're horseback riding for the first time, especially if you're a kid. And the horse people obviously always tell you it's totally fine, which is true. It doesn't hurt the horse in most cases. What they tell you then is that it's good for the horse because the horse obviously wants to exercise. It needs to be ridden. That, that's always the quote. A horse needs to be ridden. And that is so fucking false. <laughs> a horse, just like every other animal, including humans, need to be exercised every single day, multiple times a day. We need to be walking, finding food, playing, hanging with the family in a physical way every single day. That is mammal nature, probably just animal nature. So that part of it is absolutely true. A horse needs exercise, but they do not need to be ridden in any way. If we don't sit on top of these horses and make them carry us around, we're just going to sit in the jail cells we built for them all day long. Yeah. So we got to ride them. That's why they aren't getting exercises because we're keeping them penned up. 
And obviously people aren't concerned about cows getting exercise. They're kept in factories and they never get any exercise because otherwise meat would get tough. If people want to argue that something like scallops have a different mental experience than horses, yes, I'd agree. Yeah. But cows or pigs are shown to be super intelligent. Yeah. As is illustrated by the book Animal Farm. Way too smart. Those fucking pigs, they could have saved the whole farm and said the jig was up. (laughs) Also, humans are bad too. (laughs) That's a good book. That's the point of satire, Ian, to illustrate the downfalls of humanity. Not the downfalls of pigs. Trust me, I know. My favorite author is Kurt Vonnegut. (laughs) (laughs) And then to bring this podcast full circle to the intro, Sour Patch Kids were invented in the 70s Mm. under the name Mars Men. (laughs) not bad the name was likely changed to capitalize on the popularity of cabbage patch kids makes sense yeah so they changed it to sour patch kids i would not have guessed that they were invented in the 70s i would have guessed 80s or 90s that seems farther back than i would have thought and it makes sense why they would want to add sour into the name because at that point sour candy was quite uncommon if you're used to all this mars candy all these hyper sweet chocolate bars, and then you hit them with the Sour Patch Kids. That's a curveball. Mm-hmm. That's candy whiplash. Today in France, Sour Patch Kids are known as very bad kids. It's <laughs> 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 so funny. I love when translations and things like that happen. Yeah. <laughs> the most popular candies today, do you have a guess? These would be specific names of candies, not categories. Okay. I think Sour Patch Kids are up there. Nope. Okay. I would say, I mean, maybe just some of the classics, I would say Snickers is probably big. Snickers is number one. Yep. Which is surprising to me. That shows you how many adults are eating candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kit Kat is probably up there. Yep. Kit Kat is number four. Fuck yeah. I would say, even though it's insane, I'd say plain Hershey's bar always finds a way up there. Number three, Hershey's Kiss. Hershey's Kiss. Okay. That's surprising. Yeah. That is surprising. I guess they're always in, like, office candy bowls. (laughs) (laughs) Milky Way and Three Musketeers on there? I only have a list of five. Number two is Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Mm. And number five is Peanut M&M's. Wow. I would have thought Peanut M&M would definitely be lower than M&M. No big deal. I really get three of the top five. Yeah, that's pretty good. I would never have guessed the top five are all chocolate. My instant first thought was, like I said, I think my first guess was wrong. I said Sour Patch Kids. Mm -hmm. But as, as soon as you said that was wrong... I knew that there you was pivoted. No, I pivoted. Yeah, <laughs> there, there, there's no way there was anything else that was in the top five that's gummy. I think that this indicates how much candy adults eat because I don't think adults really would eat like a Skittles or something. Mm, I'm surprised that Skittles and Starburst, neither of those would make a top one, but maybe those split people into camps with the fruit candies. I feel like one of the biggest categories of candy that I see is all the gummy things. All the different variations of Sour Patch Kids. Well, you're just talking about weed gummies. <laughs> <laughs> Those two. But, uh, all the different shapes and flavors and sour things. There's uh, so many different ones. But I guess there's also so many different candy bars. When I was a teenager, my go-tos were Twix, Heath, and Baby Bottle Pop. I've always loved Twix. My go-to candy bar for a long time was Reese's Fast Break. <laughs> Those are so good. Ooh, actually, I will go to the grave saying that the best regular candy bar is Reese's Butterfinger Cups. Have you had mm, it? You've gotten it a couple times. I've had yeah. It. Mm-hmm. Those are very, very good. 
because a Reese's has awesome flavor, but it's too buttery. It's too like fudgy, you know, Mm -hmm. it's too rich. I need some type of crunch or some different texture in there. And then when you add the butterfingers into the cup, oh my God. So good. You don't really see that very often and it's not vegan anyways, but. Mm -hmm. So I got a list of the most popular candy by year, if you'd like a couple. So 1980, one of your favorites was Big League Chew. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Did they have cotton candy flavor back then? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure about that one. Then Jelly Beans, Reese's Pieces in 82. I don't like those. They said thanks to E.T. Not sure how the reference makes sense. I haven't seen the movie. Neither have I. I've seen like very short clips. It bounces around a lot. Gummy Worms, Skittles, Sour Patch Kids. So chocolate made a resurgence then, mm-hmm. or maybe yeah. it's never as popular. Chocolate-covered cherries in 1986. I wonder when Whorehound is going to come back. It's not. <laughs> Airheads, Push Pops. Never cared for Airheads. Hershey's, Reese's, Cups, Dove. So a couple things I just want to quick say. 1994, Warheads, the year I was born. No coincidence there. Yeah. Starburst Jelly Beans, the year after. Unbelievable. So you think one of those two caused the other, either your birth spurred warheads or warheads spurred your birth their connection is not coincidence (laughs) (laughs) gummy candy for your birth year just general gummy candy i'm not sure why it just says that yep mini m&ms hard to go wrong i'm guessing over the next 10 years we'll see these companies switch to vegan chocolate i hope so we heard that kit kat was doing a vegan bar but we never have seen it anywhere it's released in other countries right now not here yet (sighs) it'll be here though we have the shittiest selection of candy in this country (laughs) In the U.S., the average person eats 23 pounds of candy a year. That checks out. That's a lot. Yeah. I wonder if that goes by sales or... Yeah, sales. They must assume a certain amount doesn't get eaten. Yeah. People that come to my office love taking candy. Every single time they say, oh, I'm just going to grab one. I say, take two or three. Everyone takes two or three. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's funny. Mm -hmm. They say they want to give it to their grandkids, but they only see their grandkids like once a month. And Carol calls him out sometimes. The other day, somebody, <laughs> he's old, was taking a couple pieces. Oh, I'll take this one for my wife and this one for... This one's for the mailman. <laughs> <laughs> and Carol's like, you're just going to eat those, aren't you? <laughs> he's like, no, no, well, maybe. I might forget. 26% of Americans over the age of two consume candy on any given day. <laughs> wow. Uh, anybody that gives candy to a two-year-old... Oh, no. Just flavor explosions in their mouth that they do not need. And this consumption of candy on any given day is, on average, 176 calories of candy per person (gasps) of the people that are eating it on that day, which is a quarter of the population. Which is about 10% of their calories. And that amount of calories is twice the recommended maximum sugar consumption for a whole day. (laughs) and obviously there's sugar in everything pretty much that you eat this processed including hot dogs (laughs) (laughs) somehow the candy episode turned into the don't eat hot dogs episode that's every episode yeah skip the dogs in the last 10 years chocolate intake increased 23 percent. okay there's the fact that we needed we just love the classics well, apparently it's not the classics. It's a new thing, new phenomenon. Well, it's the classics because they were invented before, like, most of the other candies. Yeah. Snickers came out, like, essentially a thousand years ago in the candy world. <laughs> <laughs> Easter-related candy expenditures are $25 per person in the U.S. That's a lot. Yeah. Just the candy. 
Can you imagine just naming a random candy after your dog and for a hundred years is the most popular candy in the world? That's crazy. <laughs> I wonder if Leonard would catch on the same way that Snickers would. <laughs> Hungry? <laughs> Have a Leonard bar. Dirty mouth? Clean it up with Leonard. Clean it up with Leonard. <laughs> Yeah, how much are we going to spend on Easter candy? I'm going to have a lot of jelly beans this year. No. Easter's like next week. All right. I got to order some candy. (laughs) So I have an interesting fact that doesn't have to do with candy at all. But did you know that Japanese people think that Americans eat fried chicken on Christmas, which is a lie that was started by KFC in Japan? It's genius. (laughs) It's dastardly. (laughs) It makes sense because there was a campaign to start to get Japanese people to start celebrate Christmas because obviously they're secular society. So they would start to roll out like advertisements for like things you can buy to celebrate Christmas because a lot of people around the world want to be like Americans. So they adopt our traditions. Same with Halloween is catching speed around the world. So then part of these ads was KFC ads and then they made up the lie because people know that Americans eat a lot of fried chicken. So it would follow that they eat it on Christmas. I mean, they run an advertisement in China where on Thanksgiving, Shaquille O'Neal listens to our podcast (laughs) and then our listenership just explodes. What if we tell them that everyone in America eats vegan on Christmas? We'll do that next year. (laughs) We don't have the money for two ads if we do that one first. How do you buy an ad that runs in all of China? I think it's pretty complicated. Yeah. I'm happy that Americans don't eat fried chicken on Christmas. That would just add to a long list of disappointments. (laughs) About fried chicken and about Christmas. (laughs) We're trying to figure out some new Christmas traditions. If anyone's got any ideas, let us know. Yeah, we've done an awesome job of getting rid of the Christmas traditions that, as we pointed out in our podcast, have stupid meanings or racist meanings or misogynist meanings or religious meanings or just all this random shit. Or we just don't like doing the tradition. (laughs) So we've gotten rid of all that bullshit, but now we want to find out what kind of things we want to do instead. So we have a blank canvas and not a lot of ideas. Something to do with jingle bells. It doesn't include horses. Jingle balls. (laughs) Maybe what we need to do is pick a different time, like December 1st through the 20th, and we just do something crazy. Like what? Like leave our phones at home and go to the cabin. Okay, that sounds good. That'd be pretty cool. Could we do that in April? Could we do that for the rest of 2022? (laughs) We're going on vacation in May. We're excited. What are we doing exactly? Not totally sure. We're going to Colorado. And today I looked into different activities we could do and I found a full day excursion where half the day you're ziplining and then the other half of the day you're whitewater rafting. And they said chance of injury is like moderate to high. So then we went to the lower one. The lower difficulty. It's pretty crazy that you can literally say like, yeah, you're probably going to get hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Chance of dying, 1% or less. Chance of getting hurt and like being sore for a week or more. 70%. 70%. (laughs) You will feel this. Oddly, they have a thing on the roadside that says, if you don't get hurt, we offer refunds. (laughs) I had a very traumatic rafting experience on the Pestigo River when I was 12. And I got dumped out of the raft probably four times, I would say. And they were like seven foot drop rapids. You in the Pestigo River? Yeah. It was like an hour from here north. Hmm. With your family? 
It was just my mom and Sheena and me. Did you guys know it was going to be so insane? My mom had been there once before, but based on the time of year, it's like a totally different river because of the water levels. And you can notice that at the cabin too. If you go to the cabin in August, the river moves at like one mile an hour. But if you go there in March or April or something, once the ice is gone, it's just rushing. Mm -hmm. And then that's when the rapids are bad. So she had been there in the summer and it was totally manageable. And then we went in early spring and it was just horrendous. But how could there be such big drops? Uh, like if, if she went slow, there wouldn't still be like the... Well, I'm sure that there was still was the drops, but based on how fast the water is going and then what type of water you're dropping into mm, on the yeah, bottom. Very, very different. Yeah. How swirly and dangerous and crazy it is. Yeah. Yeah. How big the swirling tubs are. That's very scary. Yeah. I don't know how they can let a 12-year-old who has never gone rafting before get into that. Did you guys just go on your own or was it like with a group? Well, it was with a group as in like, you know, maybe like 15 people or something, but it was only us three in our own raft. Yeah, that shouldn't have been. <laughs> yeah. So I think the rafting we're going to be doing is going to be like 10 people in a raft or something. Big old raft. And another part of the excursion would be a 50 foot free fall jump. No tether. <laughs> Down the waterfall. In this <laughs> no, up as a part of a zip line. Yeah. So I'm sure that I won't be the first person to go of the whole 10 person group, hopefully, but I'm guessing I'll have to be the first person out of us four to go. To jump off that 50 foot thing? Mm -hmm. How are we going to get your dad to do this? Just not to I don't him? think he's going to do that part. I don't know. You think he'll just like, what, walk around it? Yeah, it's all elective. Will you do it? I think so. I watched a video of it today and it looked manageable. Nice. Did it look thrilling? Yes. We're very excited for the trip. I'm excited to get off work for a little while and get out of Dodge. Yeah, it'll be a camping trip, so it'll be fun. I think we have a little bit of cabin fever, seasonal affective disorder, funk going on. You mean sad? Don't trigger me. <laughs> I'm saying that's the acronym for... Yeah. Okay. It's very aptly named. Is aptly just short for appropriately? Apt means appropriate or suitable to the circumstances. Or it can also mean having a tendency to do something. So she was apt to do something. Mm. Words. So neat. The biggest question is whether Leonard is coming on the camping trip. That is a big question. We want her to, but how will we do a full day excursion of rafting and ziplining? How will we be without her for a long time? <laughs> this was a great podcast. Katie's so interesting, very cultural. Yeah. I think we often take for granted how recent certain cultural touchstones are. Candy industry is 100 years old. So, well, like your great-grandparents barely ever had candy in their lives. Yeah. Great-great-grandparents probably never. Yeah, our grandparents likely grew up eating one-cent candies. Yeah, they were lucky to even get a mint-flavored lozenge, let alone just getting one that tastes like straight medicine. Ugh. Can I just swallow this? No, you have to suck on it. It tastes like shit. Well, I guess pharmacists back in the day were just great inventors. Nowadays are just pill pushers. Thanks for listening to another episode of Nobody's Talking About Everything, Solving Nothing. Please email us at nobodies.pod.email at gmail.com. Thanks. You always say our podcast name, nobody's talking about everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I switch into radio voice. <laughs> we appreciate our listeners. However few they may be. Maybe many, many years from now, this is the most profound podcast ever to be. Maybe somebody is illegally recording it and then selling it. Fuck. Which would be pretty awesome. Yeah. We'd think that if that was the case, we'd get some emails. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank <laughs> you.